Okay, um, turn with me in your Bibles, please, to James chapter 5. Uh, James chapter 5. I'll be reading from verses 1 through 6. The translation is the New Living Translation. So, we invite you to follow along in whatever version you have. James chapter 5, verse 1. Look here, you rich people. Weep and groan with anguish because of all the terrible troubles ahead of you. Your wealth is rotting away, and your fine clothes are moth-eaten rags. Your gold and silver have become worthless. The very wealth you are counting on will eat away your flesh like fire. This treasure you have accumulated will stand as evidence against you on the day of judgment. For listen, hear the cries of the field workers whom you have cheated of their pay. The wages you held back cry out against you. Cries of those who harvest your fields have reached the ears of the Lord of heaven's armies. You have spent your years on earth in luxury, satisfying your every desire. You have fattened yourselves for the day of slaughter. You have condemned and killed innocent people who do not resist you. May the Lord add a blessing to the public reading of his most precious word to our hearts this evening. Pray with me, please. Our Father and our God, we are grateful once again that we have the privilege of having the liberty to gather like this to hear from you. And even though these words sound so harsh, nevertheless, Lord, you would not have spoken them if they weren't warranted. We pray, O oh Lord, that you would indeed challenge our hearts this evening as your word is endeavored to be communicated from a humble vessel that is not worthy of anything. So, Lord, I look to you for your enabling, your, your guidance, and uh, the liberty that only you can provide. Challenge our hearts, Lord, and help us to be submissive, responsive, but more than anything, Lord, help us to be humble as we endeavor to hear what you would have to say to our hearts and instruct us on how we are to order our lives in order that we may bring you glory, honor, and praise rather than reproach. This we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Harsh words from one of God's servants. This is one of those passages that preachers try to stay away from. It's been described as one of those difficult passages to communicate. But nevertheless, it's in God's Word, and we want to find out how it applies to us, and what we ought to do in response to it. Because we are mindful that God's Word never, ever returns to Him void. Amen? Uh, a man was having some back pains for quite a while, and uh, he decided that um, he'd ignore them until they get so intense that he decided that 
he go to the doctor. Sounds familiar, fellas? That sounds like us, right? It takes extreme measures for us to really go to the doctor. We are men, we could take it. Well, this fellow couldn't take it anymore, so he went to the doctor. And uh, the doctor uh, diagnosis, his initial diagnosis was a probable herniated spinal disc. Uh, further examination concluded that he had a severe case of wallet sciatica. Think, well, right, exactly. What's that? Well, he wanted the doctor to describe it in layman's terms. So the doctor asked him to take out his wallet. He pulled out a big fat wallet with a lot of cash and credit cards in it. And uh, the doctor said, there's your problem. That's what's causing all those back pains. And so the doctor's uh, prescription was the removal of the offending object in a procedure that he called a wallectomy. <laughs> of course, you know what happened, right? There was an instant cure. You didn't have any more back problems. Well, God's word has a whole lot to say about money and uh, how it actually affects people for better or for worse. Whether we want to hear it or not, God has to say it. And even though there's a lot of misunderstanding today about money, God's word is crystal clear. Make no mistake about it, it's crystal clear on the issue of money. And there are at least two misconceptions that God's word does not state or even imply that money is evil and that it is a sin to have too much. The Bible doesn't state that. It doesn't even imply that. But you have a lot of people who go around and talk all kinds of things to the contrary. In fact, one emperor, uh, one emperor of the Roman Empire, Julian, I believe it was, said that um, he believed that money was so sinful that he said that he would confiscate the money of all Christians so that they could be poor enough to go to heaven. That was his understanding of how sinful money was to him. But absolutely neutral is the Bible's position on money uh, for two basic but very obvious reasons that we all know. And one is, it can be an unequal blessing when used for the glory of God. Amen? And we've seen how it, that has happened. We've seen how money has been a tremendous impact for the glory of God and advancing the cause of God. And then secondly, it can be destructive by leading to materialistic idolatry when used in the wrong way. Sadly to say, there are many believers who fall into this particular category where they have allowed money to lead them into materialistic idolatry because they've been using it the wrong way, contrary to the way God intended for money to be used. And so the, body, the bottom line is money can hurt or it can help. That's the bottom line. That's what we want to convey this evening. So when is it that money hurts more and helps less? When do we find ourselves in that particular situation, or we might call it a predicament? Well, when it is valued in the wrong way. 
James, again, verses 1 through 3. Notice what he says. Look here, you rich people, weep and groan with anguish because all the, the terrible troubles ahead of you. Your wealth is rotting away. Your fine clothes are moth-eaten rags. Your gold and silver have become worthless. The very wealth that you are counting on will eat away at your flesh like fire. This treasure you have accumulated will stand as evidence against you on the day of judgment. Now, verses 1 to 6 of this, this entire passage that we read uh, this evening seem to be the kind of behavior characteristic of wealthy unbelievers. Wouldn't you say? That doesn't sound like Christians. That doesn't sound like believers, right? But remember now, the book of James was written to believers. He was not writing to unbelievers. He was writing to believers. If you look at the beginning of the book, it says to the believers, not unbelievers, but to believers. And so we must remember, because it's written to believers, there are some serious indictments here for all believers that we need to take note of. You know, we could read this at the beginning and say, oh, you know, that don't, that don't, that don't, that ain't not speaking to me. Me, I'm not, that, that's no way it describes me. But there's some serious indictments in this passage that we need to take note of because sometimes we unconsciously fall into those categories where we fit into those serious indictments. Um, so we need to take note of what he says here, cautiously. The first thing James mentions, he mentions the first of four serious sins committed by the rich or wealthy people. And that is the hoarding of wealth, the accumulation of wealth. Uh, here, these, these verses highlight basically where the rubber meets the road on the whole issue of money. And it raises a couple of questions. It raises such questions as, why are such loveless methods used to obtain money? Why do people use such loveless methods Hurtful message, painful uh, uh, methods to accumulate money, to get money, to obtain money. And secondly, why is money used to settle down in the lap of luxury? And he mentions that quite specifically here. Because that's what people use money for. Uh, such questions are, they clearly show how money is used in the wrong way. It's very clear. And uh, what James mentions here is he talks about weeping and groaning with anguish. And this is kind of expression that people exhibit when they are hurt. Isn't that so? When people are hurt, they weep and they groan with anguish. And so he says this is how people uh, express their, their hurt and how they feel. So consider how, how those who value money the wrong way are hurt by their poor judgment after the fact. After they have made these poor judgments on how they value their money wrongly, what are some of the regrets that they have? What are some of the hurts that they experience? Yeah, just a few of them. They are filled with disgrace and regret. That's one. You know, they realize that they messed up their money, and so now they're filled with regret, and they are disgraced when people look at them and see all that they had and what has happened to it. And then they recognize that they have been unfaithful stewards. They realize that, you know, I could have used my money a little bit better and more wise, and it would have been able to be more beneficial, not only to me, but to others. 
And so they, are, they recognize that they have been unfaithful stewards. And then they, they weep because of missed opportunities. There have been good, valid opportunities where they could have used their money wisely, and they realize that they missed it. And so now they are, they are weeping because of those opportunities. Probably opportunities where they could have gotten a, a greater blessing from the Lord by helping the poor. Because the Bible does tell us those who give to the poor lend to the Lord. And there's nobody that can beat God in his returning interest, isn't he? No one. So they probably weep over those opportunities. Probably those verses come to mind. And then they grieve because of their greed and selfishness. That they realized that they exhibited after they sat down and thought about it. Boy, they, boy, I was really greedy and selfish. You know, why did they do that? And then they're convicted about their unfair, those who are employers, their unfair employment practices. How they treat their employees. When was the last time they gave them an increase in wages? Uh, what kind of benefits? And so they have regrets. They're convicted by how they treat their employees. And, and uh, the prophets also mentioned, as, uh, as we will see, and then they see their sin in looking for security in material things instead of in God. All that they, the security they have is planted in the material things of this life. Nothing has to do with eternal life or, the, or, or, or what, what's coming after this life. And then they cry because of how they selfishly, fully indulged themselves. Remind us of the, the story with Lazarus and the rich man. He had those similar regrets of how he indulged himself so selfishly when he had a poor beggar sitting at his gate every day. And so these are some of the, the hurts that will cause rich people to weep and howl with anguish when that day comes. And even in this life, they will experience opportunities where or occasions when they will come to that particular point in their lives and they will weep and howl and moan and groan because they have the, the tremendous, terribly bad mistakes that they've made. And then for some people, money has become a God which they put all of their trust in. No one, they, they, they put their trust in no one other than the wealth and the riches and all that they've accumulated. So money has become their God. Proverbs 128 reminds us. It says, trust in your money and down you go. That's the word. But yet many people continue to do it. It says, but the godly flourish like leaves in the spring. But then think about how much, how much life is so measured on the basis of its monetary value today. Now, something we don't think about much. But it happens every single day. A whole lot of life is based on monetary value. People are looked at based on their net worth. And anytime you see a person in business and they, they are head of a big business, the, the next question that people ask is, how much are they worth? What's their net worth? Well, a weekly newspaper in a small town carried an account of a robbery and murder of a local businessman by reporting how he was ambushed one night after he closed up his business and was on his way home, they ambushed him and they killed him. And the article said, and I quote, fortunately, fortunately for the deceased, he had just deposited his day's receipts in the bank. Fortunately for the deceased, he had just put all his money in the bank that he made that week or that month. The implication is what? 
He lost nothing but his life. How fortunate was he? But that's how much monetary value we place on life today. When money is praised as the most important thing in life, as the principal objective to strive for, and as the cure all for all of our ills, it hurts more than it helps. James reminds us in this passage that money is not permanent or lasting. That's one of the things that he points out quite clearly. It's not permanent or lasting. Notice what he says, because like grain, it can rot away. Like moth-eaten cloth, it can be destroyed. All those fancy clothes, you leave them in the closet too long, some moths get in there, they're history. Like metal, it can rust. And so for these reasons alone, money should never be given a degree of ultimate value over and above everything else in life, including a relationship with the Lord and peace with God. Now, we are, we are most aware that, that most of what we have that are valuable is not, only, is not always in material possessions. Uh, because there's, there's some things that money cannot buy, will not buy, and that's some things that money just can't do. Right? Money just can't do it all. One man was definitely right when he said that money is a universal passport to everything except heaven. A universal passport to everything except heaven. Think about that for a minute. Whatever people want in life, they believe that money could get it for them. But then he goes on. He says, and it's a universal provider of everything except happiness. Now, how many times have we heard that one? Some people have got all the money that they could ever, they could ever make, earn, accumulate, but yet they're still not happy. And they figured money was the answer for their happiness. How true, these words. And so without a doubt, money hurts more and helps less when it is valued in the wrong way. But money also hurts more and helps less when it is obtained. Secondly, when it is obtained in the wrong way. Or when we get our money in the wrong way. And we have a lot of that happening today. Verse 4, James said, listen, hear the cries of the field workers whom you have cheated of their pay. Don't we hear that today? The wages you held back cry out against you. The cries of those who harvest your fields have reached the ears of the Lord of Heaven's armies. And this is the second of four serious sins that James points out. And that is obtaining wealth by refusing to pay suitable wages accumulating wealth by refusing to pay people at what they call it a decent wage happening today we see it all the time when we turn on the news cast and read the newspapers people always cry they're not getting paid a decent wage uh, a risk what do they call it risk pay brother Wesley you got your risk pay yet <laughs> risk pay okay it's happening all all over the place you see, some people feel as, as long as they, 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 they use their money wisely and for good purpose, it doesn't matter how they get it. They believe that with all their hearts. Not so. Not so. 
God's word strongly condemns people who get their money in the wrong way as strongly as it does those who use it in the wrong way. God's condemnation is strong for both. And this, uh, this is also a, a serious indictment for people who refuse to pay their bills, even though they have the money to pay them. You see, they often forget that the people who they have to pay the bills to also have bills. And they have already provided a service that you have already received and enjoyed. So there's a serious indictment here for that category as well. But this is also, this is also a message of the prophets long before James came along. What James is saying is nothing new. The prophets who were, who were living and prophesied long before James came along were saying the same thing. They were saying they were prophesying the same thing. Notice Amos chapter, chapter 8 and verse 5. Notice what Amos says. Amos says, you can't wait for the Sabbath day to be over and the religious festivals to end so you can get back to cheating the helpless. Wow. Amos said that. That's not James. That's Amos. And notice what he says. He goes on. He says, you measure out grain with dishonest measures and cheat the buyer with dishonest scales. Some people say, you know why the prices are going up? Because back coming. <laughs> and some of those, those, those people, suppliers feel as if they're not going to make as much from VAT, so they're going to they're get their bit now. And so the prices are going up. And so this is a serious indictment for those who cheat consumers by jacking up prices on their merchandise that they sell. Okay, this Amos talking, you know. He's backing up James. And then Malachi. Malachi condemned those who exploited workers in their wages. Malachi 3.5. He says, at that time I will put you on trial. I am eager to witness against all sorcerers and adulterers and liars. But notice the next part of the verse. He says, I will speak against those who cheat employees of their wages who oppress widows and orphans, or who deprive the foreigners living in among you of justice. For these people do not fear me, says the Lord of heaven's armies. But then Isaiah comes along. And Isaiah joins the fray with these other prophets. Isaiah prophet against aristocratic land grabbers who formed the equivalent of today's cooperative and bought up all the land that they could buy and along the countryside, turned the, the entire area into succession of estates. And all the, the, the regular farmers were reduced to the status of slaves. See it happening today. Isaiah 5.8, he says, Sorrow for you who buy up house after house and field after field until everyone is evicted and you live alone in the land. And so we see these three Old Testament prophets backing up James and what he is saying in James chapter 5. Persons who earned their money in the wrong way were not only condemned by the prophets, but they were also condemned by the Lord Jesus himself during his earthly ministry on earth. Jesus had an ethics of love. And his ethics of love says, treat others in the way you want them to treat you. That was the ethics of the master, and it remains his counsel even to this very day. Treat others. But well, people have changed that around. And what they've said is, you get them before they get you. 
Okay? But Jesus' ethics remains the same. And Jesus has always recommended a love that goes beyond our actions to our attitudes. Because our attitudes control what our actions become. Which we would dare not oppress our brothers and sisters because they are brothers and sisters in Christ. But it's happening. I can tell you of horror stories I've heard of believers who said that they worked for other believers and when it was time to get paid, they, they got on their case and they told them all kinds of things. They told them everything but they were a child of God. And they wouldn't pay them. They refused to pay them. And these are believers. These are not believer working for an, unsa- an unbeliever. These are believer working for believer. And so you've got some believers today who refuse to work for other believers. It's sad, but it's true. It's true. And so you can understand why James is saying what he is saying here in this passage. Serious indictment. Jesus refused to put up with those who earned their money in the wrong way. Or who got their money in the wrong way. You, you can't really say they earned it if they cheated people out of it, can you? No, that's not earning. Earning is when you work for something, you work hard for it, and you, 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 uh, 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 you, you desire, you get what you work for, right? They got their money in the wrong way. They didn't earn it. Jesus couldn't tolerate such people. And this is the same message that James conveys in our text. Obviously, there were some Christian workers who had some other workers cut their fields, and when they were done, they told them they wasn't going to pay them. And that word got to James. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? James said, the protest, the protest of the harvesters have reached the ears of God. And sometimes we don't think about that. When people are cheating others out of their well-deserved wages, they don't think that God hears the cries of those individuals when they cry out to him and says, you know, why are they doing this to me? I've worked hard. But yet, they don't want to pay me. The cries go to the ears of God. And so this message echoes throughout the Bible, throughout the scriptures, that money hurts more and helps less when it is obtained with unfairness, heartlessness, and dishonesty. And that's what James is talking about. But then he goes on. And the third thing he mentions is uh, money hurts more and helps less when it is used in the wrong way. He says, when you value it in the wrong way, when you get it in the wrong way, and thirdly and finally, when you use it in the wrong way. Now, while it's a basic theme of Scripture that there's nothing wrong with having money, it's absolutely wrong for your money to have you. And that's the problem that God has today with a lot of His children who have excess money. Their money has got them instead of God having them. And so, the third of the four serious sins James condemns the rich for is luxurious living. Notice what he says in verse 5. You have spent your years on earth in luxury, satisfying your every desire. You have fattened yourselves for the day of slaughter. You see, money becomes very dangerous. When instead of using it to advance the kingdom of God, it is used to cultivate pleasure-seeking, wasteful, and selfish lifestyle. That's when it's dangerous. 
The people of this generation were outrightly condemned by James because of their selfish, lavish living on the earth. And James questioned how his generation could squander their wealth so selfishly on expensive jewelry, stylish clothes, gourmet foods, and lavish homes. That's what he intimated in the passage. When multitudes were in desperate need. The same could be said of our generation. How can we justify the unnecessary, now notice the key word there is unnecessary, because there are some necessary things that we need to do, but the unnecessary material comfort and reckless spending of churches and individuals. There are some churches today who are doing some very lavish, and we see it on TBN. Those of you who watch it, I don't watch it. I hear about it. Okay, but you see it, and you hear about it, right? Lavish spending, reckless spending. God is not glorified, and God is not pleased with that because there's some people out there who could use that money. There's some people who need food. There's some places where the gospel needs to get to, and that money could be used for that. So we live in a world where death and starvation is a daily reality for thousands. We hear it all the time on the news. But then closer to home, how could operation in as much close down? Because we don't have no supplies. You know, someone asked me when that happened the other day, someone asked me, why is the church budgeting money for missions all over the world and not budgeting for operation in as much right here at home? After all, it's missions too. I heard two people talking, and that's what one question the person asked the other question as I was passing by when that announcement was made that Sunday morning. You know, so people are talking. People are wondering. They're wondering. Well, I didn't have an answer. But are we also aware that there is more than a half of, half of the world's population have never heard of the Lord Jesus Christ? That's a good thing that that money can be used for. If James was in our world today, he would ask, how can Christians justify their sports and luxury cars? If we put what James said in verse 1 into context today, luxury cars and pleasure, pleasure boats, how can they justify spending the Lord's money? Because sometimes we think it's our money, don't we? When we prepare for the offering, what do we say? We give to the Lord a portion of what he has given to us. It's not ours. It all belongs to him. Okay? And so if James were here today, James would ask the same questions he was asking the believers back in his day. How could Christians justify spending the Lord's money on costly things like vacations and classy restaurants and, and all kinds of self-indulgences? He'd ask the same question today. When we consider the clear teaching of the scriptures, the awful need that we have in our world today, the Savior's example, the nature of compassion, we cannot help but agree with James and feel convicted about living in such comfort, luxury, and ease. Can't help it. We can't help it. What is most evident today is how our modern world's leap toward luxury has somehow silenced 
the message of God's word. The ravenous cravings for more and more and more and more has reduced, has produced all kind of credit buying and overextensions, which have a lot of people today on the brink of disaster. There's, there, there, there's stories today in the, in the, among government workers that sometimes they don't take home enough money to do anything else because everything is paid out in, in what do they call it? Uh, what do you call the thing that you? Salary deduction. Okay? It's all gone. And there are many people on the brink of disaster today. The problem is that our yearning capacity has far exceeded our earning capacity. That's the problem. When asked the secret of his financial success, what the secret of his financial success was, one wealthy man replied that it was his wife. Then he explained by saying, I wanted to see if there was any income she could live beyond. Another man who refused to call the police to report the thieves that had stolen his wife's handbag with all of her credit cards. He said he figured the thieves would use them less than she did. But you know, when we use our money in the wrong way, it really hurts us. And there are many people who are going through hurts today because they have used their money foolishly, extravagantly, lavishly. And I could tell you there are, there are families who get calls from other family members asking for help. And I remember one particular occasion, a family had a, a wealthy, fell out a wealthy brother, and he uh, made some foolish decisions in his life, and he called his brother, and he was expecting his brother to come with his big checkbook. His brother came with a legal pad and a pencil. He said, now come, let's see how you spent what you had. And it's happening today. We see it all the time. When we use our money in the wrong way, it hurts us. Not just financially, but spiritually. Instead of controlling our money, we find ourselves in the situations where our money controls us. And the result is we miss out on the eternal dividends, which can only be reaped in eternal investments in spiritual things. Without a doubt, money can hurt more and help less when we use it in the wrong way. But then there's a fourth the fourth of the four serious sins that James condemns is the mistreatment of innocent people. The mistreatment of innocent people. Verse 6, you have condemned and killed innocent people who do not resist you. Now, while innocent people may not have been physically killed by being overworked and underpaid, it amounts to the same thing. Some people are dying today because they're overworked and underpaid. They cannot meet their expenses. They cannot meet the basic things of life. And because of their fear of increased ill treatment and the possibility of losing the job that they have, James says they don't resist and they don't complain. They just grin and bear it. That's what he's talking about here. And so the counsel of God's word is clear. Money is bad when it is used in the wrong way. Now, I doubt if any of us here are suffering from wallet sciatica. Anybody? Nobody have no back pains, no lower back pains, right? But money can still put a serious hurting on us 
Just like it did to that man with the wallet, he had a problem. If we value it in the wrong way, if we obtain it in the wrong way, and if we use it in the wrong way. Some things that then we need to reflect on as we take into consideration what James has communicated to us this evening. A reflection for our response and application as we consider and we ponder this passage. Contrary to popular belief, James declares how worthless wealth can be and notes the worthlessness of the wealthy in this passage. He points, his point is that when Christ returns, today's money is not going to be worth anything. That's one of the points that he's making. Why hoard it now? Remember when, the, uh, when, when Saddam got overthrown? What happened to all that money that he that he'd stored up? Who got it? There were pallets of U.S. dollars. The man was against the U.S., but he sure had a lot of U.S. dollars. It was pallets and pallets of U.S. dollars. He left it all behind. For, 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 for him, it was all worthless. Same thing is going to happen when Christ returns. Our money will be worthless. And so our time should really be spent building up the kind of riches that will be valuable, not in this present world, but in God's eternal kingdom. In other words, send your money on ahead of you by investing in the things of God. We can never outgive him. It says when God, when you put him at your little shovel, God puts him at his big shovel. We can never outgive him. Outgive God in any way, shape, or form. Yes, money is needed by Christian workers to live and provide for their families. That is absolutely necessary. Yes, money is needed by missionaries to enable, enable them to spread the good news to those places where people have not heard the gospel yet. Yeah, money is needed for that. Yes, money is needed by churches to do ministry effectively and impact the lives of people. The problem is not money. Money is not the problem. You know what the problem is? The love of money. That's the problem. And that's what Timothy says. It's the love of money that leads to every conceivable kind of evil. Paul says in his letter to Timothy, chapter 6, verse 10, for the love of money. Well, how often have you heard this misquoted? I heard this misquoted on radio programs all the time. People says money is the root of all evil. The Bible says the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And some people craving money have wandered from the true faith and pierced themselves with many sorrows. That's why you hear so many groaning and weeping and anguish, because that is what they have done. It is the love of money that causes people to oppress other people to get more. I'm sure many of you who heard the news this week uh, heard uh, pastor, one of the pastors, I can't remember his name, uh, made the statement that the prime minister's constituency is the poorest constituency in the country. And this bill to legalize gambling will push those people into further poverty. You've heard that, right? Again, the love of money causes people to oppress others to get more. It's happening in our world today. For Christians, this word should be a constant warning 
to prevent us from being tempted to adopt the kind of worldly standards that the world has instead of God's standards. We need to stick to the standards of God. It should also be a, a source of encouragement to those who may find themselves in a, in a work environment where they are being oppressed by the wealthy. You probably know that you deserve a raise, but you're not getting it. So this should serve as an encouragement to you that God understands. He hears what you're going through, and he's going to respond. We must never forget the words of Jesus, what Jesus says about riches in Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 and 21. And I believe believers remember and quote this verse more than any other when it comes to money. What does Jesus say? Don't store up treasures here on earth where moths eat them and rust destroy them, where thieves break in and steal. Store your treasures in heaven where moths and rust cannot destroy and thieves do not break in and steal. Wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will also be. Jesus is echoing what James says in this passage. James is echoing what Jesus said during his earthly ministry. So money hurts more and helps less. When we value it in the wrong way, when we obtain it in the wrong way, and when we use it in the wrong way. The challenge is that we may in response to James, govern ourselves accordingly. Let's pray. Our Father and our God, we are thankful that you make it so clear to us how you want us to live our lives with the resources that you have given us, the tremendous privilege to obtain. Your word reminds us that it is God, it is you, who gives us the, the ability to obtain wealth. And it is you who require of us to be good stewards in that which you have entrusted to us. We pray, O oh Lord, that these thoughts may continue to echo in our minds as we think about the resources that you've entrusted to us and how we are to use them that you may indeed get all the glory, all the honor, and all the praise. Bless us now, Lord, as we leave this place, but not your presence. Take us to our homes in peace and safety. For we ask it in Jesus' name and all God's people said, Amen. Amen.